Mr. Madison will go first. Mr. Gordon, choose the topic. English literature, U.S. presidents, my wife, the tramp, burning dog poo and the human response, reflections of society and literature, reflections of society and literature. Good luck, Schmuck. Mr. Madison, the Industrial Revolution changed the face of the modern novel forever. Discuss citing specific examples. The Industrial Revolution, to me, is just like a story I know called The Puppy Who Lost His Way. The world was changing, and the puppy was getting bigger. So you see, the puppy was like industry, in that they were both lost in the woods. And nobody, especially the little boy, society, knew where to find them. Except that the puppy was a dog. But the industry, my friends, that was a revolution. Nib High Football Rules! Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but... Uh... Welcome to Flyby Films, once or twice a month, using the magic of distance-defying tubes, or some shit like that. We get together to discuss films that either have been or will be forgotten. I'm Blake Collier, and... Sitting next to me in this tiny little box, called a black box, I think. Or a box that we push the button on? Never mind. We're, we're digressing here. Uh, anyways, sitting next to me in this tiny box is my friend and co-host, Jameson Barsotti. How you doing, Jameson? You doing good? I'm good. I have a question for you. When you... When you turned on your computer, did someone that you didn't know die? I mean, I thought that's what happened every time someone turns on their computer. Because you had to press... I thought that was the definition of population control. Every time a, uh, a Windows boots, uh, a person yeah. loses their life. That's why Apple never kills anyone, because it doesn't actually boot. Mm. See? I, yeah, 
I was just thinking, yeah, that since you have to press the button. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I press so many buttons. I just wasn't sure. Including, if you including your nerd buttons. I just wasn't sure if you remembered uh, what we talked about the last time. Just just checking, you know, quizzing you. No, I have I have no recollection of what we've watched in the past. So, uh, but nonetheless, on this episode, we are talking about Thoroughbreds, which is 2019, right? 2017. Oh, God, man, time really is a construct. It has my uh, one of my favorite actresses, Anya Taylor Joy, and Anton Yelchin. May you rest in peace. And I can R. R. never remember the other girl's name. Olivia Cook. I think she's really good. Olivia Cook. She's great. For some reason, can never remember a name. So, yeah. I'm a uh, big yeah. Olivia Cook fan. So she's great. Yeah, she is yeah. great. She was in Ready Player One, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible movie. But um, made by she, a terrible, terrible director. I well, you're gonna get some hate mail for that one. Um, for those of you who don't remember, it was a terrible movie, but it was directed by Steven Spielberg, who, um, yeah, so. I, I think he might need some introduction. I don't know. Blake, do you want to introduce uh, the the indie director, Steven Spielberg? Uh, yes, he directed the... Okay, let's, let's just put it this way. He peeked at Jaws. But that's some damn fine peeking. Oh, it's amazing peeking. Look... But it, it, was a, it was a strong, strong fall. Afterwards. Okay. I was going to say, if he peeked at Jaws, there's a lot of mountain to climb down, right? No, no. It was like, it was like, like a drop, like it was like a tree limb, like halfway down the mountain. And then he's just been hit tree limbs ever since. Oh, man. Do you, how do you feel about AI? Artificial intelligence, uh, the one with Haley Jones. I have a strong memory of going to see it in the theater and nothing else. Hmm. I remember some teddy bear like a robot teddy bear or some some shit. My my issue with Steven Spielberg and I'm I've heard that this is a complaint that a lot of people have. I'm the only person I know or that I've talked to is, who has had this complaint with him. So I find it interesting that other people are out there who have the same argument. But I think he's too damn sentimental. He ruins his stories with sentimentality and I don't like it. I think it's unearned and I think it I, I just can't I can't like it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could see that being a weakness. I just think, and I'm not even like a huge Steven Spielberg apologist. I do like AI a lot. Like, I I think that movie is really great. And it's probably a good candidate for this this podcast. So Hey, I'll watch it. Get ready to revisit that. Um, Okay. But, but... You know, I could see that being being a negative, but you know, I I think he has a lot of strengths too. And I think he's definitely not as bad as Ron Howard at that. 
I think Ron Howard is worse with sentimentality and yeah but that's like comparing like like pee to poop like i mean yeah there's Blake. they're both bad like which one would you rather drink though pee yeah of course so and i think I think you and I have different opinions on which one is which. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Um, we're not going to continue this conversation. Um, Blake, how have you been? Other than being wrong about Steven Spielberg, how have you been? Uh, I have been fine. I just got home from the last night of my company's bowling league, Ooh. where I sucked it up so hard tonight. It was beautiful. By by sucked it up, would you say that you uh, performed as a turkey might? Uh, no, I did not get three strikes in a row. I got maybe one strike per game how many and games? then uh, maybe the occasional spare and then a bunch of open frames in two games so yeah i would say it was it was a shitty night all right well uh i guess that's a one way to end your corporate bully league on uh, whimper, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 Richard Kelly would be proud. Richard Kelly would be proud. <laughs> well, okay. How okay. about you, Jameson? How have you been doing? I, I've been okay. I've been okay. My um, at work, our team lead is leaving tomorrow, leaving the company, and oh. They don't I have he a was report. actually like leaving to like another country or something like that. He was going on a trip, taking no. a journey. No, she is opening with her husband a boutique sex shop. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, I hope that it's very successful for them. So. I know you weren't <laughs> expecting me to say that, but it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I hope I hope their company takes a long time to peak. I hope. <laughs> I hope it's a long climax. Very satisfying one. Yeah. Yeah. Deeply. Blake, I'm, I'm proud of you. That was... I could I'm see... I'm still a kid at heart. I could see that, like, working its way through your brain. And you were just trying... trying well, I just to get didn't it see it coming. When I think boutique, I don't... I do not think of section. <laughs> so, so, one of the things that I realized... My, my boss was telling me about this. And she was saying, like, we're opening a, a, a boutique business. And... They're describing it as a boutique, but I also realized she's British, and I think she just means a small business. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it makes sense. It makes sense. I just don't ever hear that 
in the same yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, a small yeah. scale business. Yeah. 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 And to uh, a niche audience. We, uh, but we wished her well today and that was kind of fun. She's been a good, she's been a really good boss and she'll be missed. So, uh, we're not, does she have an accent? Yes, she does. That's, that would be, that would be worth missing right there. Yeah. Yeah. But I do work with a lot of other British people, um, cause part of our company is now, um, a lot of our, our data is housed by a team in britain so um i work with them so yeah i still get to hear those accents Uh, how does that work knowing that we defeated them in 1776 well um i make sure to ask them every time july 4th comes up if they're uh getting the day off um so that's how it works and then we (laughs) joke about it and then i go oh yeah sorry i didn't mean to gloat (laughs) but that's that's, awesome that's basically the the gist of it anyway would you like some tea yeah they also there's a bunch of (laughs) britishes i like how jameson just he just moved right on he was just like nope nope not touching that with a 10 foot pole just moving right on no, no, I was, uh, I was thinking that, that tea is a very British thing. And I was, you made me think of all these like Britishisms that they say. So they always like say Fortnite, and, um, and my boss also, I don't know if this is specifically her or a Britishism, but she always says, says like, have a think about it and stuff. And so, um, <laughs> Fortnite yeah. is two weeks, right? Fortnite is two weeks, yeah. So yeah, that's what I thought. It's it's convenient whenever they're like, oh, maybe we should move this uh, meeting from once a week to fortnightly, and I feel like in English we have like this idea of biweekly, which sometimes means you skip a week, mm-hmm. and sometimes means twice a week. But Fortnightly never has that confusion, so I guess they they beat us in that way. So, anyway, um, we can't win at all. Yeah, we don't have to pay them taxes, but uh, they know how to describe every other week better. So, who who knows who got the better end of that deal? I don't know. Have you ever thought about the whole idea of taxation without representation and how such a bullshit reason for revolution <laughs> that is? Yeah, I have. It's like, okay, we would get like maybe two or three parliament members. Is that really going to change our situation? Yeah, I mean, Come on now. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, we're here now and there are you know, some good things, I guess, about America. Um, there's some good ideas represented in the Constitution. So <laughs> whether or not they uh, they came out good, I think we can discuss mm. that. But, you know, I don't know. I do know that the taxation without representation gets bastardized all the time into taxation is theft and that 
bothers me all the yeah. time. Yeah. So I, I I I get more upset about people who use roads and don't think about where the money for those roads come from. So So our so this is this is a weird tangent to take, but you know that's kind of what we do here. Sure. Uh, I'm and and in, in, in the effort to make myself uh, uh, transparent about my finances, um, I have two two stocks in Amazon, and uh, it was there's a reason why it's only two. They're not cheap. And uh, so there's there's a yearly meeting that they have where they send out all of the people who own a share in the yeah. company a, you know, a questionnaire. You need to vote for these various items. And the board, quote unquote, the board, which has Jeff Bezos on it, uh, recommends the responses to these these questions. These are the what the board recommends. Uh, fairly normal, typical thing. Well, being a socialist that I am, I I I am of the mind that I vote against my int- my own interest. Mm-hmm. So my thinking is because I'm not that smart. My thinking is, is whatever they tell me to do means it's good for them and it's good for me. So I choose the opposite of everything they tell me to do. And that's how I filled out. All right. So Bezos gives you his recommendations of what you should choose. And you... Well, be- the, the board, not Bezos. And no. I'm using square quote, scare quotes here. The board... Let's let's just... which they give us the bios of all the board members and they sound like a wily bunch. Mm-hmm. They're very diverse for whatever that counts. Um, they're are all they very di- rich. Are they diverse in their their uh, love of money and scale in that way? No, that matter of fact, oh. they that may actually be the least diverse part of mm. their existence. Um, but they have the identity politics down. Like they, they look like a very like well-rounded, you know, group of people. So, like, but they're all very rich. When you say well-rounded, is it uh, is it like in Willy Wonka when that girl turns into a blueberry? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They're all very bloated. All right. Well, ego and body. I guess that's what happens Very when you get people. rich. Yeah. Turn into a blueberry. Weirdly, they're all all their names were uh were Veruca too. Oh. It was weird. Um I couldn't remember that. I couldn't remember if Veruca Salt was the blueberry girl or if it was the girl who uh gets sent into the incinerator. Yeah. I think it's Veruca. Okay. I guess we need to buy a new or a, a copy of the new version so that maybe we don't get all the bad ideas, you know. But we still know who 
the character is, but we don't have to like hear bad names and things like that. Okay. I don't yeah. know what you're referencing. Yeah. Well, recently they decided the the publisher decided to clean up Roll Doll books. Oh yes, uh, I did so, hear about this. Yeah. I think I read so, an article that was like if you're trying to read Roll Doll for niceness, you're reading him wrong. So Exactly. He's he was an asshole. Yeah. And that's kind of the point. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um so Blake, I am going to short circuit our our banter a little bit. Because okay. Because one of the things that I want to talk about with the movie, and this will lead to more banter. We'll just talk and talk and talk before we actually well, that's get That's pretty to, much what this whole podcast is. Yeah, is get, to, get to real movie talk. But one of the themes that I want to kind of talk about on the movie or that the movie kind of made me think of and why I wanted to bring it up on the, the podcast is uh, the idea of plagiarism. Uh, that shows up a lot in the movie. And so um, it just got me thinking of academic cheating and academic uh, plagiarism or uh, plagiarism outside of a- academia and different things like that. And if anyone had mm-hmm. personal experiences with that. So I think if you listen to the intro sode on this episode, you heard me call out for that. And we did actually get some responses, so we'll have to read them in a bit. Uh, I'll make good yeah. promise. But I did want to open it up to you and ask you if you had any good cheating or, uh, you know, intellectual thievery stories. So, so first off, for our audience members, uh, Jameson had texted me and said, do you want to have some of my notes about this film before we start do the recording? And my answer is, as you would expect, hell no, I go in cold. I'm on this journey. I'm on this ride. Take me where you want to go. But the one thing he did ask me about was if I had a cheating story. So I knew that was going to come up, and I did. I did have a cheating story. It's not necessarily, like, in the same vein as, like, what we saw in the movie and kind of what you're largely the the wider idea of plagiarism, at least in academia. Blake, you don't don't know what the wider idea is because you wouldn't let me tell you. So... Don't, well, that's true. That's true. So you might surprise me. Don't Maybe act like you story... understand my master plan. Oh, I don't understand it. I just know what bullshit academia comes up with. Yeah. Okay. So my cheating story was took place in. I want to say it was like third grade. I'm a little little iffy on if it was third or fourth, fifth grade, maybe. It was elementary. And every week, at the end of the week, we would have to... We would get these cards, paper cards, and they showed us what our, you know, 
attendance was and any you know other information about how we did that week and what we had to do over the weekend was have our parent have, have of course given to our parents have our parents sign it and if you did not bring it back the next monday there would be consequences i did not remember what the consequences were apparently they were bad enough for me to do what i did and that was forge my mom's signature onto the card very poorly i might add because i was merely a third fourth fifth grader and it was in very delicate and tiny handwriting uh the teacher surprisingly took a long time to realize it was not my mom's handwriting uh which tells you the the state of the school i went to I'm just kidding. That was a, that was a really low blow. She did fine. She noticed it right off the bat. She's a very smart lady, whoever she was. I don't remember, but <laughs> smart and memorable. But she called my mom. She took me out in the hallway and she's like, uh, "Is this your signature?" And I don't I don't remember exactly if I kept lying or if I told the truth or what. But all I do remember is coming home that day and facing my mother. And my mother just started bawling because she was so disappointed that her son forged her signature onto this thing. That's all I remember. But that is... Now, that being said, I'm sure there have been plenty of times. I have very strong opinions about plagiarism, so that's why I was kind of excited about this episode. Mm -hmm. But... I'm sure I've plagiarized before, and I just didn't realize it. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I am guilty as charged, I'm sure. But that's the only one that comes to mind that I actually got caught. So, and it's not even plagiarism, it's forgery. But academically speaking, what's the difference? Sure, sure. Plagiarism is kind of nebulous anyways, so... And and y- you were in a way cheating, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I have a I have a quick question. Um, I love imagining little uh, eight year old Blake doing that. So when you were writing out her signature, did you have a moment where you were like, "Looks legit"? Yeah, let's turn it in. Like I I honestly don't remember what my thinking was at the time i probably i mean the simple fact that i turned it in when i could have literally just kept it in my bag and said i forgot it or just taken the consequences or whatever i must have had some sense that it was gonna work uh yeah but i also didn't have a frontal lobe so (laughs) That's so <laughs> that question of of what what a cheater thinks is good enough is always so interesting to me. And so um I don't know, like that bleeds into my story a little bit. Um Ah, uh, sweet. I'm so, excited for this. So it wasn't unfortunately you're not gonna have any blackmail on me, um, uh, because it's not a, a about me cheating. It's actually about me dealing with cheaters. Um, oh. So 
So this wow, was there. You go. I've got one of those stories too. I can tell. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. absolutely. So this was my uh, my last semester teaching uh, mathematics at William and Mary. And uh, folks, I just want to I just want to pause for a second, and I just want our audience members to recognize that we have a host on the show that taught mathematics at William and Mary. <laughs> so I just pause, pause and just contemplate for a little bit on that. I added, I added those details to give context for this because math. Actually... No, I, I, I am impressed. <laughs> I've always been impressed that you understand math. I am less impressed than you because i i hear that and then i think well everybody understands math they just don't think in the dumb symbols that mathematicians have made up but all math is all math is is problem solving and pattern recognition and yes there's classical forms of math algebra geometry and then uh, analysis my personal favorite well trig is kind of a sub of geometry. Oh, how dare you, sir? Oh, no. How dare you say yeah. the trig is sub anything? All right. Um, <laughs> you can have your world where trig is, is king. Okay. No, no sub I am service. deeply triggered right now. Oh. <laughs> Continue on with the story. Blake, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, I'm... I mean, I don't. I think I'm the only one who's gonna think that's a good one, but I'm very proud <laughs> of that pun. Um, dad level status. Okay. Uh, so it was. It was uh, the spring, spring of 2020. So halfway through, I don't know if anybody remembers, but that was the year where halfway through the spring semester, everything shut down because of a small, tiny virus called COVID. And I know we're sick of hearing about that, but that's what happened. So everything switched from being in person to now being online. And apparently college students' brains couldn't handle that amount of freedom when it came to, you know, taking examinations and and doing work. And so uh, pretty soon after, I gave a midterm and... Uh, I, as I was grading it, I just noticed that, man, a lot of these answers look the same. So this was, this was calc one, I guess. So it was, it was, um, derivatives and, uh, and funnily enough, everything was looking pretty derivative. Um, so (laughs) I got a little curious and I was like, I wonder if there's like a calculator for this stuff online. So I looked and sure enough, there's there's like a derivative calculator that takes you through and prints out the steps. It was like derivativecalculator.com, first Google result that came up. And so <laughs> this is where I'm like, okay, so like 40 children in my class thought, oh yeah, I'm going to search for this online and just take the first result. And, and no one will know the wiser and no one Please else tell is... me that every single person in your class used it not every single person but i was like 
man, I can't send, you know, 30 plus people to the honor system. So William and Mary ancient university has, has like a very, very, uh, boisterous. I think that's a good term for it. Boisterous honor code. Um, Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that it's very strict. I have pretty strong opinions about that after all of the shit that I went through. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think they take it seriously, and you can quote me on that. Uh, come at mm-hmm. me, William and Mary. But um, they uh, <laughs> they make a big show out of it. So uh, I was like, I can't send all these kids. So how am I going to deal with this? So what I, <laughs> what I decided on was... Um, I said, okay, this was the second midterm. We have a final coming up. I will give you an option. If you cheated, then we will, you know, consider it water under the bridge but this is what you have to do. Actually, I didn't say if you cheated. I said, if for whatever reason you want, you can contact me before I'm done grading and say, Professor Barsotti, I don't want you to grade my exam and I will have the points for it rolled over into the final. And then I will be graded on the final. And I will not waste my time grading your midterm exam and you will just be judged on the final exam. And you could do that for whatever reason you want, you know, and obviously I'm winking as I'm saying this. (laughs) If you don't do that and I discover that you cheated, I'm going to give you a zero. (laughs) So you could either have me not grade it or you could do that. I got 27 responses to not great how many people were in the class uh i think there was about it was between two um two classes and i think there was about 60 so it was uh it was close to 50 yeah half jeez yeah it was pretty depressing and so i was like okay i have to i have to take the final a lot more serious and um i explained it and I made them sign the first page of it saying like, you know, if I cheat on this, I get an F in the class. Um, And so, uh, so they did that. And I don't actually care about kids getting expelled, but if you're going to cheat on the final and basically show me that you didn't learn anything, I just want you to retake the class. Like, I just want it to be an annoyance Mm -hmm. for you. I think that's like the perfect punishment. And so I was like, all right, if you cheat, I'm not going to, you know, I'm just going to fail you. And then I'm going to peace out and you could retake the class. Um, And I Mm -hmm. still found like 10 cheaters on the final. um, And that was, that was pretty crazy. One of them, I ended up finding her exam posted on Chegg and it matched like the picture on Chegg matched with all of her scratch work. And I like found the pictures 
And when I confronted her, she was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I swear. I was like, okay, (laughs) fine. I guess it turned out that she had like offloaded it to someone else to do. Ah. And they had posted it on Chegg. And I was like, gotcha. Realize how it doesn't really change anything. And then um, another case, I found like a ring of, of three guys who had like all just shared their tests between them and they made mistakes. And so one of them, I like, he freaked out when I gave him an F. He was like, I'm going to have your head or whatever. I don't know. He said something to, (laughs) he emailed me and I was like, this is my last, I'm out of here. Like you could, (laughs) you could bring it up. So we had like a video recording session where I had him walk me through this, this answer. And when he got to kind of the telltale mistake, he's like trying to do it. And then he just says, fucker. (laughs) And then continues on. (laughs) It's, it's one of the most incriminating moments I've, I've been witness to, but um, yeah. So it was, it was a shit show. I was having a really bad semester as it was. And then I was having to deal with that. But, um, but. Oh, I remember. I remember that semester for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But yeah. So that was, that was my kind of academic scandal. So my, I had a similar situation. It was only with one kid. Well, I mean, there was other kids that cheated during my time as a teaching assistant but this is the one that's memorable uh because it was just so obvious so i i was a teaching assistant for you know low grade american history classes required classes for incoming students to texas tech university no william and mary but you know it is what it is so uh, I was, you know, looking through all these essays that they had to turn in about probably a book or something, some piece of history or something that they had to write, you know, small response paper on, you know, four or five pages probably. And I kid you not, this kid had the audacity or the complete idiocy to leave the link in the printed paper. <laughs> so literally all I had to do was type in the link. Oof. And I found it. And I mean, there's just no coming back from that. Like, yeah, like either he wanted to get kicked out or he really is so dumb. He probably shouldn't be there anyways. Yeah, this is. I don't know. I don't know of any other way. Like the how? How does one do that? <laughs> I mean, I think I think it becomes desperate. You know, they they're. I I can put myself in in that place where you're desperate, and you have this blindness to the things that you need to do. Like, you know, I think we've all been in classes where some assignment looks bigger than it actually is. Yeah. And I think that's what ends up happening. I don't think that's an excuse for this. And I think again, like the perfect punishment is just to make them like 
make it a thorn in their side and have them realize like, yeah, the paper wasn't really like worth retaking an entire class, you know, but, but like, I mean, like you, I never turned a kid in for, for plagiarism. Yeah. Never once. I would fail them, but never turned them in. Yeah. I cared to. I think I told my kids, I was like, I don't know. I guess there's an honor on an honor council. You can maybe appeal it to them. And then everybody was like so confused. They were like, no, usually the professor approaches the honor council. And I was like, I don't have time for that. I already made my judgment. (laughs) Like you guys can like, and so they, the kids ended up opening their own honor, like council thing. And they all lost anyway. So, um, that's hilarious. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that story you're telling kind of underlines again this this interesting thing like when when you're in that mode what what makes you think that this is passable? Like what makes you think that you're going to get away with this? And yeah. I think that's a that's such an interesting theme. Uh we uh- Oh. So let let me ask you real quick. We'll we'll get into this, I'm sure, more with the actual film. <clears throat> but I just want your uh, no caveat answer, and then we can break it apart. Sure, we'll both answer this, and then we can break it apart later. Do you think plagiarism is wrong? No. <laughs> me neither. I think that. If the goal of a class is to teach you an idea and the teacher can't tell if you've learned anything because of plagiarism, then the teacher has every right to fail you. But I don't think that's yeah. a, I don't think that's a judgment on you as an individual or even a judgment on how ideas get transferred. I think yep. It's more of an indication of how un, I don't know, I guess a gap in the learning process and the, and the judging process of the learning process. But we'll, we'll get into this, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Um, but so we got a few emails and, uh, Blake, I'm going to ask if you have access to it. Do you want to read one of them? Do you want to read Thad's? How about, yeah, how about you read the other one and I'll pull it up. Okay, I'm going to read, we got one from uh, from Kira, Kira Barsodi. I think uh, she's a, she's an on-again, off-again listener. I, I This is the first time we've heard from her, I think. Um, I don't know, it sounds familiar. No, I'm just kidding, that's that's my wife. Um, my Your wife? My Your wife, wife cheated? <laughs> she didn't cheat. Oh shit! It's about someone else. Um, my yeah, wife, your wife wouldn't cheat. Well, your yeah, wife's too nice. She's pretty great. Okay, so I'm gonna read this email from Kira. Okay, so this is not an academic plagiarism story, but I have a story. When I was about 16 years old, I got involved in a drawing class at my local art center. There was another kid in that class with me, but it was mostly old ladies. 
I became friends with this kid and we started to hang out outside of the drawing class. On the first and last day, I went over to their house. I noticed a drawing of a cyborg dragon on their corkboard. It was an exact copy of something I had drawn and posted on my DeviantArt account, which is, uh, for those unfamiliar, is a place where artists used to post their art online. I think they still do. Uh, good old Web 1.0. Yeah. Miss those days. I, <laughs> I confronted them by saying something fairly neutral like, Hey, cool, that's my drawing. To which they said... No, I made that character up. Maybe I, it was because there was a third party present. They had another friend over in addition to myself. And maybe I had caught them in a lie and they were trying to save face with their friend, which is why they dug in. I was and continue to be baffled to this day. They were a perfectly fine artist themselves and they are a professional artist today. So I didn't understand the need to steal my art. I guess I could have been flattered, but I was mostly hurt and annoyed at the injustice. Uh, wait, wait. Okay, back up a little bit. Sure. You, she said that this was a professional artist now? Yes, it is now a professional oh, artist. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. Anyway, I said something dumb like, no, I'm pretty sure that's my drawing. It was my drawing. And then it got real quiet and awkward. And I never spoke to them again after that visit. The end. Damn right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well. Yeah. We got... We got... According to this person who said he was two-thirds of our listening audience... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I don't know how that works out mathematically. Maybe you're smarter than me, Jameson, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but uh, we got an email from Thaddeus Harrington, who was on our last episode, with his own uh, very smart teacher ways, catching a uh, cheater in his, his, his class. And he, uh, he states, uh, I listened to Jameson's introsode asking for readers to share any cheating stories they have. And I felt compar- compelled to share. One from a teacher friend of mine and one from my own experience. My friend told me of how he once confronted a student for plagiarizing his essay. To which the student replied, well, I didn't know it was plagiarized when I bought it. But <laughs> For mine... I had a student claim that it was just a coincidence that every word of his 1,200-word essay matched an essay I found online. When I showed him the report from Turnitin, he pointed desperately at the end of his essay and said, These websites here. Me? Your works cited entries? Him. Yeah, I never went to these sites. Me. (laughs) You never went to the sites that you cited as your sources for where you got this information? Him. No. Never. Me. So do you see the problem here? Moral of the story is, he did not. He did not see the error of his ways. It is clear he did not see it. It is clear he did not see it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a... That's that's classy. Yeah. I mean, I, I I feel like this kid and the kid that I had in my class would have made really great friends. 
I definitely think too. There's a sense that if you buy something on, you know, buy an exam or something like that, you shouldn't have to like you should get your money's worth and it's almost an injustice to them that uh that they you know <laughs> that they're caught with it too which is kind of funny. i mean i i at least appreciate the student's reasoning on the first one yeah because if you buy something you expect it to be original and that it's its own it's a it's a work of, exactly. of originality and intellectual uh you know artwork and uh and clearly it was just plagiarism and that would piss me off yeah yeah i think i think that that jives with this idea that if you buy something it's yours right yeah you get ownership of it so yeah so we have we have okay so we we have have a third one right we have one more story and uh it's sent to us by a listener named uh virgil and I'm putting that in quotes because this this listener wants to be anonymous. Uh, so Virgil uh, says, I'd be honored if you could share this story on your pod. Uh, I've changed the names and dates to protect the guilty, I, I suppose. I've also utilized uh, ChatGPT to enhance the story, which is actually really funny in this case because that's kind of like using plagiarism to tell a story about plagiarism so uh awesome i i think it's a great great job uh okay so the story goes back in the scorching summer of 2008 i returned home from college determined to master the art of coasting through my senior year i figured enrolling in a world religions class at the local community college would be the perfect way to achieve that Coincidentally, my brother Robert also needed to take the same class. He signed up not just for the educational experience, but also to mooch rides from me every day. Siblings. Taking a class with Robert turned out to be an unexpectedly enjoyable adventure. We had our fair share of sibling banter, awkward group discussions, and occasional strategic eye roll during lectures. Who knew studying world religions could be so entertaining? However, as fate would have it, summer came to a close and I found myself summoned to my teacher's office after our final class. Panic set in as she sternly asked me if I had plagiarized my paper. My mind went into overdrive, wondering what parallel universe would ever lead someone to accuse me of such a crime. I vehemently denied the accusation, exclaiming, no, absolutely not. To my astonishment, the teacher calmly revealed another student's name. Let's just call them name redacted or another student's paper. And to my horror, it was an exact replica of my work. (laughs) It was then the light bulb in my brain flickered to life. My brother, Robert, had shamelessly ripped off my paper. (laughs) (laughs) The realization hit me like a cosmic punchline. Here I was, innocently striving for academic excellence, only to have my own flesh and blood turn my hard work into his personal shortcut. The audacity. But before I could concoct a devious plan for revenge, the teacher shared her resolution. 
She explained that while name redacted, as we've discussed, Robert would face the grim consequences of failure, she would not report them to the dean for suspension or expulsion. Turns out Robert had a learning disability and probably didn't fully comprehend the gravity of their action. So they received a gentle slap on the wrist instead of a full-blown academic guillotine. All right. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. That's I, almost Shakespearean. Yeah, that's a pretty fun story about uh, about brothers turning on brothers. Yeah. I never had a brother, so wouldn't know. I was going to ask if your siblings ever did shit like that. You know, my sister was six years older than me. We were basically just two single children. Mm. We never shared the same school or anything. Hmm. She was always in high school when I was in middle school. She was in college when I was in high school. So. Yeah, I guess that that age difference is like just enough time to skip all of the schools. Yep, exactly. But we get along famously now. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. So I think that's that's all the academic uh, dishonesty stories that we have. So I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get any uh, call-ins. I really think this show needs more call-ins. Well, I think we got a bunch of responses, so I do think maybe I didn't specify that you could call in in my interview. Oh, you did. You did. Okay. I all I did make a point to point out the email address though, so I think people gravitated yeah. towards that. But we will I think we'll keep it up. I think uh this was a good idea and we can move forward with this. So hopefully we'll get call-ins in the future. Yeah. We just have to come up with interesting questions to ask for each film, which might be difficult. So, yeah. Well, whenever we get to the movie secretary, we'll just ask to pe- for people to ride in and tell us about their sexual kinks. Yeah. That will be the, the people will be itching to call us about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they can order some stuff from the boutique. Yeah, we maybe we could get sponsored um, by the boutique. Hey, hey, can you ask them uh, if they would sponsor our show? Show, I, I would totally be down for a, a, a sex boutique to to be our sponsor. Yeah, that might be a, a good idea. I'm not. I don't want any sponsors right now. So. That's fair. Yeah, sponsorships never go well, anyways. Yeah, um, but yeah, I guess if you want to sponsor us, maybe we could talk about that. Um, maybe only it has to be a very specific sponsor for us to be, say yes to it, like a sex shop boutique. Now that I'm thinking about it, a sex shop boutique would would be good. All right, I think it'd be hilarious. So, so Jameson, boy, we've we we've hit we've hit. A little bit over what we normally do with the random banter, although it wasn't so random today, because we actually did have we had, we we were tying it in. But tell me why why did you pick this film? Well, I saw this film besides in- your interest in plagiarism, of course. 
Yeah, I saw this film in uh, in theaters when it came out, and I remembered enjoying it. And it was also uh, it came out uh, after Anton Yelchin's death, so I knew he was in it. Um, It also came out after the witch happened, and so Anna Taylor Joy was uh, was on everybody's mind. and this was another film with her in it. And it just, you know, it was being uh, advertised as kind of a kind of a, a, a sequel or not a sequel, a spiritual successor of, of Heather's and something like that. And and you can definitely see that, too. Um, I, I would say, you know, it's it's maybe got. Some Heathers, but also some Hitchcock. So you're you're kind of mixing the two um, the two types. But um, yeah, I just remembered really liking it, and it kind of stuck with me. But I hadn't revisited it yet, and you know, you don't hear it talked about a ton um, these yeah. days. It's it kind of just blipped. It it made you know it got some good reviews when it came out. So I was like, well. Maybe it wasn't as good as I remembered it, and we watched it, and I actually really, really enjoyed it. So um, I enjoyed it again. So I was happy to, happy to revisit it. Yeah, I. So as as Jameson knows already, I remember watching this at home. It was probably maybe a few months after it came out in theaters. Probably right when it had hit streaming or you know, rent online uh and uh i remember liking it i didn't remember being wowed by it like it was it was one of those movies that was like okay that was that was well done and interesting and whatnot but i did not think about it much at all after i watched it uh so whenever he told me that we were watching it again i was like well, I think my actual response was, are you trying to make me depressed because it's Anton Yelchin's last film? And, and that made me sad because I actually really like him as an actor. Uh, and I was like, well, I mean, it's only going to get better in my estimation, considering the the fact that he's now dead and I'll have a nostalgic response to it. And and kid you not i i really liked it this time around uh all the tension worked all the actors and the characters they were playing worked for me and i think olivia cook as much as i like anya taylor joy i think olivia cook steals the show on this one uh but she kind of has more to do which is funny to say because she's playing pretty much a blank slate emotionally so (laughs) Um, but if you're not actually a sociopath and you're playing a sociopath, it, um, I would imagine it's fairly hard. So, well, do we know that Olivia Cook is not a sociopath? No, not, not for sure, but I've seen her in other things and she, she has, she seems to be fairly capable of of pretty seemingly realistic emotion so 
are you saying she has very good technique? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially her crying. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the uh, big points of the movie is that her character, she's a sociopath, but she could cry and uh, it's just very mm-hmm. realistic. And she also tries to teach um, the other character, Lily. Um, so I, I think I got all of the character names for Amanda, this. Well, not Lily. all of them. I don't actually... Mark is the stepdad. Oh, Mark. That guy. Yeah. And then um, I forget. Yeah, I do too. I was trying Tim. to think. No, it's Tim. Tim. Okay. It's Tim. Yeah. So those are the four kind of main characters in the movie. And then there's another one, which is uh, Lily's mom. But she's kind of a, who kind of of a non-character. Largely. She's a non-character. She's not, you know. She's a vehicle for Lily's character to kind of do things yeah. with, but that's exactly. about it. Yeah. Well, and so it's got a. Pr- go ahead. Oh. It's got a pretty simple yeah. plot too. Like, it's these two girls. Um, one of them is a sociopath, and they used to be friends. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why they're not friends anymore, but they're hanging out. And they devise a plan to kill the uh, one of their so Lily Anna Taylor Joy's stepfather yep. because um, it's revealed that she hates her stepfather for whatever reason, and um, then it kind of plays out. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you seen the other film that Corey Finley did after this? Oh, was it uh, that HBO yeah. film Bad Education? Yeah. I have not. I have. It's not pretty seen good. It, it's so. pretty good. Hugh Jackman's great at it. Uh, but I, I found it interesting, especially considering that you latched onto the idea of plagiarism in this one, which, like, in theory, like it's 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 the ambient element in the whole film, but actually it doesn't get mentioned, but maybe in one scene, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but it. I think you're right to pick up on that because it is so kind of ever present in the film. It kind of is like the, 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 the inciting incident uh, for all of this. And uh, bad education is, is similar in that it's dealing with academic crime, uh, admittedly of a different sort, but uh, it seems that Corey Finley has an interest in crime within academia and i kind of mm-hmm. i kind of love him for that so yeah yeah no re-watching this because i don't think i don't think i was fully on that wavelength when i watched it the first time of of picking up that how how kind of important that is to the story and like you said kind of the ambient ambient theme um but I watched it again, and so I definitely do want to check out Bad Education, mm-hmm. um, especially because yeah, it's not I, I it's think, not as pretty. I think of a film. It's very much a. It feels yeah. like a, a made for HBO kind of film, but it's 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 good. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it has uh, it has Ray Romano yeah. in it, right? And he's great. But Ray Romano is great in everything except for Everybody Loves Raymond. Well, everything he's done since that yes. sitcom has been gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm uh, I'm rewatching Fargo, and yeah. uh, Brad Garrett is in the second mm-hmm. season, and he's he's also kind of wonderful yeah. in that too. Um, and this is just an aside, but um, it's interesting to see the faces of evil in each season of that yeah. show. And um, this the second one, it's it's all about. So it takes place kind of at the at the eve or at the at the dawn of the Reagan era. Um, so Reagan is kind of not quite president yet, but he's a he's a skyrocketing force. And the um, the evil is the market yeah. and kind of what the market decides and what it tells you, who it tells you to kill and who it tells you not to kill. Yeah. Um, so that's that's fascinating to me. Um, anyway, that was just an aside. But um, yeah, I guess I, I, I want to ask some peripheral questions before we get into um, into. Uh, plagiarism exactly but uh, just as you're watching it um, one it's kind of a chilling last role for Anton Yelchin right because he's he's kind of a slime ball he's he's a slime ball and there is there's like a point in the movie where they ask him if his life is really worth Mm -hmm. it and they like pose that and um, and that that definitely stuck with me more this yeah. time, especially knowing that like 14 days after he wrapped this film, he had this freak accident. And so if if you're unfamiliar with this, Anton Yelchin was a very young actor who I think he was 27 or yeah. 28. He was trying to get into his house and he like got out of his car and I don't think I don't think drugs and alcohol were in involved at all. Aware. I just think it yeah. was just weird. And his car ends up rolling and pinning him against his like gate, and uh, and that was it. So yeah. it was just it's very sad. And he was he's very promising actor. Um, you know, could have had a really long um, and and interesting career. It was already interesting, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. So, um, but speaking of death in the movie, uh, so the, the girls end up succeeding in their plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spoiler alert, whatever. Um, but I wanted to ask you this. Did Mark deserve to die? Hmm. I mean, is anyone who's a complete asshole deserving of death? Uh, probably not. Uh, do you kind of want them to die? Yeah. In most fiction, most of those characters are are pretty, pretty unlikable, and you're pretty willing to let them just, you know, end. Uh, but in reality, no, probably not. He probably didn't deserve it. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think you hit on an interesting point, which is 
He's a complete and total asshole. But I feel like the movie pulls back and just steps away from making him a true monster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it 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 never tips its hand. Like he's controlling, he's he's mean, he's annoying, but it never quite tips its hand into like he's an abuser mm-hmm. or he's trying to, you know, seduce Lily or anything like that. He's just a big fucking asshole. Yeah. And I I I think this movie does a really good job of of asking you that question like do do assholes deserve to die? And so that's I think that one that one was definitely the one that stuck with me when I first watched Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, this is an interesting, interesting portrayal of this. Um, And yeah, it's just fascinating. In in fact, there's one scene where he like kind of faces off against Lily and he like calls her out and she starts crying and you, you know, you feel bad for her and and uh, then Amanda comes and is like oh you're using the technique uh you're you're crying on command to make it look like you're crying and lily's like i'm not using the technique and then amanda goes but he wasn't wrong about <laughs> any of that like and you you just kind of realize like oh maybe you know maybe he does see the world clearer than yeah. than he's given credit for is it Um, is he again but is he communicating that clarity in a way that is going to be heard and or useful to anyone probably not uh no no but yeah i would agree i think i i think i think amanda's the most honest person in the film and i think mark might be the second most honest person in the film (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that yeah that's true that's true or maybe uh what was the horse's name yeah he's, uh yeah i don't remember the horse's name but definitely easily the the, the most honest character in the movie and we see him for a total of what maybe 10 seconds yeah you see there yeah you see a horse at the very beginning and that's it yeah but here's so so, um, so kind of writing off of this uh, real quick uh do you get the sense that that the whole thing was actually maneuvered by lily and that she was literally playing amanda the whole time because as i was watching it this time around i i almost got the sense that that she actually was using Amanda's uh, persona and her, her personality and her uh, sociopathy against her. And that she was playing her the whole time. Yes. The only thing that would, that would fight against that is the final scene where she lays in the lap of Amanda after she's killed Mark. That's the only thing that that that's the only scene that makes me uh, maybe sh- maybe there's some 
maybe it wasn't quite that way, but but I I got the sense through the whole film that like she knew what she was doing. Yes, and I think I agree with that. And I also have an interesting take on that. Okay. Uh, Sweet. That other part. So, um, I think that Lily wishes she was Amanda. Oh. Oh, yeah. I think that's pretty clear. I think Lily is a serial plagiarist and uh, not just that, but I think that's her identity Ah. is a plagiarist who has no original way to live life. Gotcha. And so she contacts her friend or her quote unquote friend who she knows has to live life by um by stealing from other people and basically utilizing mm-hmm. that mirroring utilizing yeah. other people's yeah mirrors and uh, and so she has to do that and i think that's what she's doing the entire time and so in that sense i think you could interpret it as kind of a loving embrace mm-hmm of her friend at the end, or you could also interpret it as almost vampiric. Like she had just gone and done this insanely difficult human thing, which is murder someone. Yeah. She had just done this and she was depleted. She couldn't like continue to live. So she went and just tried to absorb more of her friend's energy. Ah. That's one way that I read it. That's good. Um, I like and that. That's to me a, a very creepy way of looking at it. Um, I think what bothers me about that scene is she does try to stop her friend from, from drinking the Rohypnol yeah. so she doesn't go to sleep. Um, and again, I think that's because she is butting up against what she's capable of doing. She's not a true sociopath, but she's a plagiarist. So she can copy the sociopath. And so it's bothering her doing these things outside of the ordinary, yeah. murdering someone, mm-hmm. roofing them. And so she can't get herself to quite do that. But then as soon as it happens, she like is able to kind of go into the role and she like doesn't, you know, she doesn't try to help her friend as soon as she goes out. She, she, you know, goes for this, this scheduled plan. And uh, so anyway, I think she is playing her friend the whole time. I like the, I like the idea of the plagiarist, like that. She is a serial. She, her whole being is plagiarist. Like she is seeking to, She is empty enough to where she is filling herself up with any and everything that she can find to mimic or imitate. Uh, and like you said, drawing the energy out of those things or people. I think that's good. Yeah, I like that. 
And it at least yeah. makes sense of the uh, ending for me. At least gives it a it gives yeah, it a a, yeah. a a nice bow to like say that that's a that's a valid reading of the film. Yeah, speaking of the ending, I actually had a had a quick question. Um, one of the things that they do at the end um, is it ends with a dream sequence. I wanted to ask you. Do you think movies that end with dream sequences are bad? <laughs> do, or do you think do you think that's too cliche? Uh, I mean, I'm having a hard time thinking of films off the top of my head that end with dream sequences. I so the two that I can think of right off the top of my head are this one, of course, and You Were Never Really Here. Uh. Okay. And both of those movies, oh, so I'll I'll say you were never really here. I absolutely adore. I think it's one of the best films in the last ten years. Uh, <clears throat> this one is very good. I wouldn't put it necessarily in the same category, but those two films at least prove to me that it's possible to do it well. Uh, does it take a in this instance, I, I don't think it takes away from You Were Never Really Here at all. I think it's actually fitting the way it ends. But uh, this one, I can see an argument saying that it, it kind of... He's, he's, he's kind of, you know, backing away a little bit, you know, from kind of the, the coldness of the film. Um, and he's kind of mm-hmm. giving this a little bit, a little bit of warmth when I don't really think he needs it. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't really deeply bothered by it either. So because the rest of the film was, was there... so well done that I was like, meh, missteps happen all the time. Yeah. So there, yeah, I, I don't actually even think it was much of a misstep. So I think I'm on your side. I was just <laughs> I was noticing it and I was thinking about, I guess I was thinking about how much of a cheat code it is to like make your film more interesting. Yeah. And so that, that made me worried if it's like, Oh, you know, almost like again with plagiarism, like someone had done it before. It was a good idea. Like David Lynch or actually the two examples that I could come up with outside of this were both Coen brothers. Oh, that's funny. Raising Arizona. And No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. And I I uh, adore those films. But at the same time, I I still think there's like a valid thought that like, oh, it might have kind of an unearned interestingness to it. Yeah. Like you could have anything yeah. and then add a, a nonsensical dream sequence. And then people are going to discuss what what does that I mean? Think you're, I think you're right. So. I, and And... And I think on the whole, most people can't do it properly. Um, where I do think, and as I'm sure I'll get hate mail on this as well as my hatred of Steven Silberg, but I'm not a huge Raising Arizona fan. Uh, so I'm sure that'll pop up as a as a film at some mm. point. Um, and I don't I don't recall the quality of the final scene in that movie. Uh, I probably need to watch it again. It's been a while, but uh, 
I know with uh, with you never really here and no country for old men. The dream was such. The dream at the end was such that it. The lines between dream and reality were so liminal as to almost make them indistinguishable from each other. And so Mm. part of me is like, if you can't pull that off, then it is a bit of a cheat code. Uh, And I think no country does it well. And I think you were never really here does it well to where you're not actually entirely sure where the dream starts and where it ends. Um, and so, or if it actually ever was a dream, <laughs> really? Like, so. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, actually, I really like Raising Arizona's dream sequence at the end. I think, I, I do think too, it doesn't, it doesn't really blur those lines. Like if you think about it for a second, you realize that it is just a dream, but it actually has a poignancy to it in that it's a dream that can never be attained by these characters. And it almost, it like makes the whole movie, which is very, very funny end on a very, very sad note. Like, and which is very, which is very Coen Brothers. Yeah, there's a little bit of like goofiness at the very, very end. Like the final note is is kind of goofy and gives you a little like wink. But if you take the dream sequence for what it's worth, it's it's talking about a, a sadness that will it will it's talking about something that will never be, and um and there's a sadness to yeah. that. So. I actually really like that, and I all of these, including you were never really here. I agree that that movie is incredible. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, but on that note, I actually wanted to read uh, the dream explained at the end of this. Movie. Okay, go for it. Um, so I have the I have the quote lined up, and then I'm going to ask you so, what you think it's. So about. who explained this? Wait, are you just reading the dream itself from the movie? Yeah, okay. I was going to read the dream gotcha. from the movie. Uh, I yeah. thought you were reading someone explaining the dream from the movie. Okay. Oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you okay. to explain it after I read. Gotcha. It. <laughs> so, uh, so the scene takes place. Uh, Lily is talking to Tim, and uh, and this is the final scene in the movie. And she's explaining that uh, that Amanda sent her a letter, and in it, Amanda explains two dreams. One of them um, is a quick one where she sees herself as a horse, um, and then the other one is kind of the final uh, lines of the movie. And um, and so uh, um, this is Amanda. Um, she's the voice reading her letter to the audience. So. I had a dream. Well, she doesn't say that, but she's talking about the dream. I'm Honeymooner. Honeymooner is the name of the horse. That's what we're trying to talk about. I'm Honeymooner, and I'm dying. 
and I rise out of my body, and I'm staring down at our whole suburb, and time is speeding up, and I see generations of people coming and going and building bigger houses, and then eventually the people start spending more and more of their time staring at their smartphones. And soon enough, they're forgetting to clean their houses, or mow their lawns, or eat. And eventually, all the houses rot and collapse, and the people disappear, vanishing completely into the internet. And then, and this is the really beautiful part, the horses take over, and the whole suburb is just beautiful thoroughbred stallions with no owners and no memory of owners and no way of knowing how expensive they are, just mating and galloping through the ruins. The, I remember you, you, <clears throat> you actually, uh, whenever you asked me about whether dreams at the ends of movies makes the movie bad, uh, I, I had a vague recollection that I didn't actually mind uh, the the final dream in in this film, but whenever you read it just then, I actually find myself uh, liking it even more. <laughs> okay. Um, you didn't think I was going to go that direction, did you? <laughs> no, you 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 juked me there. Yeah, I I I actually, I mean, it's a little it's a little on the nose, I think. Um, it's, you know, it's a vague, you know, criticism of the empire of man and the urban sprawl and how man has, you know, made a concrete jungle out of everything and conquers everything and all this stuff. And then technology conquers man and sucks it into the internet, blah, blah, blah. And then nature can come back and reclaim what it once had which is marked by the fact that the thoroughbreds can then run and mate and gallop and not remember the owners that they once had, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's utopian. It's, it's fairly straightforward and a little bit on the nose, but, but what I like about it and what I think it kind of nails is that what she's talking about is a transcendence of what, we've talked about with Lily. It's a transcendence of this mirrored uh, being and just, I don't want to say going back to nature because that's stupid too, but it's, it's becoming what we were meant to be ultimately. Uh, and thoroughbreds were meant to be wild and galloping and mating and not being owned and all these things. And having Amanda quote that at the end is meaningful because it's probably the closest to emotion she gives in this whole movie. <laughs> and she does it through her yeah. choice of words, uh, not in, in, in well, her yeah. inflection of voice or anything like that, but what she says emotes this yeah this is true and actually right after she reads it the camera does pan to her and she smiles for the yeah. first time in the movie yeah and also the last time 
I, I, I do admit, I do remember that, and part of me kind of hoped that she, like, stopped smiling, and it was all technique the whole time. But that would have been a little cheap, too, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I I think you're right. I think there's there's a sense, like, again, getting back to plagiarism, getting back to that idea and mirroring and things like that. If you think about the suburbs, like that's us, you know, we're here and nature exists. Mm -hmm. Nature is wild and we have to tame it, but we go further than that. We take the idea of, of, you know, a world made for us and we create an even smaller world made for Mm -hmm. us. Uh, you know, we create a suburb. We create it's a it's a it's a mirror else. of a city. It's a decayed mirror it's, of a city that is. It's a mirror, yeah. and then it and then and then as that dream kind of progresses, like you see these other mirrors. You know, these other mirrors, and instead of things, instead of things kind of uh, getting better they start decaying Mm -hmm. and then eventually you know we we get sucked into the internet and then these these you know true originals um are allowed to exist and you know i think i think calling out you know the horses not knowing how expensive they Mm -hmm. are like that's us taking taking an idea of a horse and pretending like it's our own right yeah. <laughs> which is like this idea of plagiarism um and um and you know we bastardize these things um in this way so i i i thought that was interesting and i do think you know it's maybe a little more obscure to tie it back into that but i think it ties back in oh yeah to this ambient well thing. and the simple fact that she's st- at the very end when she smiles for the first time she's staring in a mirror I mean, that's yeah. She's she's literally doing what Lily was doing the whole movie, like just trying to like imitate. And 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 so the other thing, the whole time I was watching this film, this time, have you seen Gone Girl? Yes. Okay, so uh, Alyssa Wilkinson, uh, film critic, who was paid. Uh, so, you know, take, take this for what it's worth. Uh, it's, it's going to be lesser than our opinion because we are unpaid, but I think she had a point here. So I'm going to give her credit. Uh, whenever she wrote her review of Gone Girl, uh, she said it's a love story about when a sociopath meets a psychopath. And I thought that was actually damn near perfect as a summary of, of the movie Gone Girl. Um, and I kind of saw a reflection of that in this film in that a sociopath and a psycho, because I really do think Lily was a bit of a psychopath. Um, so yeah, and I think... that reads into the kind of what we've been talking about, about their kind of back and forth relationship and, the fact that she's ultimately the one who ends up murdering someone, even though she's the one who, you know, Amanda's the one who is like, 
so cold-blooded about the very idea of murder and all this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I could not get Gone Girl out of my head the whole time I was watching this film because it seemed... It's not a perfect one-to-one, but I found myself thinking a lot about how both films bring these two um, mentalities in in collision with each other, um, and 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 I. To the point where, you know, when this doesn't happen as much as it used to, but to where I almost kind of want to write something about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, something about their relationship and it, it, it being, you know, what I like about it is it never goes the whole romantic route where it could have been a, like a dangerously liaison yeah. kind of thing. Um I like the fact that it always just kind of teeters on that, but it's never, it's always very friend. Like it's always platonic, but there's, because Lily is constantly absorbing Amanda. Yeah. There is, there is that element. Like it almost feels like she, she needs closeness. She needs intimacy from this other girl. And so, um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, weird, random thought, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a good point, especially about kind of the intimacy um, and you know the the nearly like erotic mm-hmm. nature of their of their relationship. I wouldn't say it like goes quite down that road. Uh, but yeah, there are definitely points where it's like, you know, a kind of a will they, uh, yeah. will they go that way? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, that fits in with, with yeah, this interpretation of, of Lily as as kind of a vampire, as kind of an absorber, yeah. Um, which, yeah, I think, I think that's interesting. So we've spent this time talking mostly about, um, mostly about Lily and Amanda and a little bit about Mark. But um, let's let's get into uh, Tim because we did we did do a, a big lead up about Anton Yelchin. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I. I so Tim. I did, so real quick, I did want to point out that the final scene where Amanda looks in the mirror after she tells her dream and she smiles and whatnot. Shortly after that, the final scene is Anya Taylor Joy looking at Tim, and I couldn't help but think that there is a little bit of a parallel there uh and that mm-hmm. she almost sees or a type of reflection uh and in tim uh admittedly tim is the, the failed version of her uh one might say um the one the, yeah. the, the one who wasn't willing to to go the whole distance with his with his uh <laughs> his psychopathy let's put it that way <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think, I think Tim isn't a psychopath, but I do actually have it written down here too, kind of on that note. Like, I think Tim, um, Tim represented to me like covetousness, which is almost like 
I was thinking about covetousness in the in its relationship to plagiarism and how like one is kind of the desire for someone else's stuff, yeah. someone else's thoughts, someone else's ideas. And then the other is kind of the action of, of taking those. So they kind of go hand in hand. And Tim, Tim is like, yeah, he, he represents, uh, he's always talking. He's kind of this, this low level drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been to prison. He's a sex offender because he was 23 and he slept with a 17 year old and, um, and got caught. And then, um, he now just sells drugs and his his like goal in life is just to become a great drug dealer like that's that's his his goal but you get him talking more and he just talks about you know i'm gonna own this house i'm gonna own these cars i'm gonna you know i i want these things that these other people have uh but he doesn't really have the ability to 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 go get them so in that sense he is kind of like uh, a, a failed version of Lily, where um, Lily, she might not have the abilities that that Amanda has, and she wants those, but she at least has the ability to do them, yeah. to act towards you know getting them. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I was going to ask something about Tim. Tim is actually a very sad character oh, in yeah. this movie because they they take advantage of him um, really hardcore. But I actually think there's some... It's interesting because they basically trap him to do something, but then there's a sense where he escapes kind of this this hall of mirrors in a way yeah. by just deciding not to do it yeah <laughs> and and uh, you know so there's 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 a sense where he does get to kind of have an original idea there and and have this sense of i'm choosing this for myself and it he it ends up better for him he doesn't end up getting caught in their web would you would you say that that tim is the most moral character in this movie i i almost yes. would yeah no <laughs> i think i think for for the scenes in the movie like we don't see tim before the yeah. movie we don't see tim you know but yes i think he is the one who acts the most moral is he the most ethical character no, no i think no Amanda Amanda is the most ethical character. She has for for all of all of her like inability to feel emotions, she can reason exactly why she's acting in all of these yeah. ways, you know. Um but uh there is kind of a funny uh thing that happens with Tim where he starts out as like a dishwasher and then he becomes a valet. Yeah. <laughs> And you realize, oh, you do get to drive those cars now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but again, in these in these uh, kind of mirrored and lesser than ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 He's. Yeah, it was it was not it wasn't 
Not that you get to choose what your last roll is going to be, but <laughs> but it was an interesting it was an interesting last roll. Uh, considering, especially the run he had had before that. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking of Green Room, um, which yeah. which I think is, if not one of his best, I, his best, if not one of his best. Um, so, yeah. Tim. So, Blake. Fucking Tim, man. Yeah. Fucking Tim. <laughs> R.I.P. Anton Yelchin. May you rest in peace. At least your final. At least, at least the final movie was a banger. Oh man! Right. In all the ways. Yeah. Okay, so um, so we've talked a lot about the movie, but I also did give you some homework to read, right? Yeah, we actually have surprisingly so, not talked about plagiarism all that much. Which I am, I am pleased by, to be completely honest. Uh, but I, but I feel like we, we, we would do our, 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 our listeners a disservice if we didn't broach the subject a little bit harder than we have thus far. Well, we, I think we talked about, we talked about, we didn't talk about our feelings about yeah. it really. We talked about stories talk- about it. That's we what I'm talking about. about. Now the movie kind of deals with it. Yeah. 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 But but people want to hear our thoughts, R T H O T S, our thoughts about plagiarism. Yeah. So, Blake, what are your thoughts about plagiarism? Uh, I'm largely against it. Uh, I mean, I against the charge of plagiarism. Um, and and, okay. and and I came about it in a weird a weird way. Because when I was in academia, I was all about, you know, oh man, you know, this is this is very pertinent. This is very important that you don't, uh, you know, you you be original. You you know, think for yourself. I think there's a way to be a plagiarist and be a critical thinker. Um, I don't think that those are mutually exclusive things. Um. Now you have to be fairly intelligent to pull it off, uh, mind you. But but I think it's doable. Uh, I came about it by listening and reading about hip hop music and sampling mm. and all the the mm. butt hurt rock bands and other musicians that didn't like that hip hop was quote-unquote, taking their music and making trash out of it. Um, And it made me really, really dislike uh, copyright copyright law, uh, (laughs) for that matter, Um, because I always got the sense that our understanding of putting work into something is so very tiny and limited uh, as to make it almost kind of pointless and useless. Um, I remember teaching a, uh, I was trying to think, I think I was, it was American history, of course, when I was a TA. I remember I used to have to like change up for each class I taught 
how I would approach the class because some people, you know, some classes were a little bit more playful and so you would be you would kind of play to that element more and some were you know good deep thinkers and so you would kind of be more philosophical there i remember one time we were talking about what what it is for uh land to become the property of someone and the differing ideas uh around what what that involves like what work has to be put into it and for anyone who hasn't studied that specific history there's a lot of different ideas about what constitutes quote-unquote property um and what work is instituted into the making of that property uh and i would go through all these different ways like i would say what do you perceive as worthy of putting into a thing investing in a thing in order to quote unquote make it yours uh and there are some really fascinating thoughts that that the kids would come up with about what it means and and how we understand you know acquiring land specifically but really anything yeah um because, you know, if you think about medieval times, like, you know, even up into, you know, sharecropping post uh, antebellum south, uh, you are looking at people who put a lot of work into the into the land and ultimately would not, quote unquote, own it. And so there's there's it's it's a very there's just a lot of philosophical, ethical, moral elements to what constitutes property that copyright law seems to just completely fucking ignore. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I despise it. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, cause, cause I, I, I sent you an article and, and it's in our, our references about, what makes plagiarism bad or, or I don't remember the title exactly, but it's, it was basically an argument, not necessarily against uh, uh, the charge of plagiarism, but basically saying like, why is academia so bound up with this specific crime? Because it does yeah. seem like you could literally murder someone in a college and not have the same reputation death that you have unless you quote unquote stole someone's intellectual property, whatever the fuck that means. <laughs> um, and so it's, 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 yeah, I, I find it, it, it's a little, it's a little bougie to be honest. It's a little much, <laughs> a little much. I don't know. Well, what, yeah, what, I what think. What are your thoughts on I, that? No, I think tying it to like the idea of a property, and um, you know, I am. I, I I guess I should come out about this, but I am a landowner. Mm -hmm. I I own a small plot of land in Chico, California, uh, but 
that's always struck me as the most ridiculous idea in the world. Yeah. Like, how can how can you own the earth? You know, I've always thought like those things that say like you own property on the moon are so funny to me just because of how just ridiculous they are. Yeah. Just what you can see it and you can own it. You paid someone money for mm-hmm. for this. Like, why did they, how did they get it? They were the first person to write it down that they owned it. Yeah. And that's, that's how they get it, you know? And, and a lot of, a lot of intellectual work works the same way, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You're probably not the first person to think this thought. Maybe, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. And if you're the first person to write it down, why does that give you specialer rights than anyone else? Yeah. Why does that make you, you know, why does that make you the the original? And yeah. I, so there are a lot of, you know, lots of holes in that. And especially like if you think about, I don't know, if you study the history of mathematics, like we ascribe theorems all the time to people who just popularized the idea Mm -hmm. who didn't even didn't even come up with it and you know even that's suspect and yeah there are original ideas i'm not saying that that there aren't but who gives a rip if you like if if you get attributed you know if if you believe that knowledge should be free and free flowing yeah. and that everyone deserves it, then you know why would you try to protect it in a cage? Yeah. And I I ultimately think that like the way we approach it is as if these ideas live in cages, yeah. and you're only allowed to access them if you you know, know the right combination and you can use it in this very specific way. Um, And that's just bananas to me. Like it really, it really makes, makes zero sense. Um, Well, and you're, if you're going to be intellectually honest with yourself, you would need academics who would need to notate every person that fed into the way in which they arrived at their opinion. And that would be nearly impossible because not every source is direct. Sometimes it's ambient. There are people we read and we don't recognize the effect they have on us until probably much, much later. If ever we, we recognize it, uh, and so, how is that, on some level, not intellectual property that has been plagiarized? <laughs> so. And yeah, and I think I, you know, I'm a big fan of giving people their due. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, I think you should approach things with a humbleness yeah. and your ideas and the the work that you do. And I definitely think you should strive to credit people when you can. 
and I think that's that's virtuous. But I don't think it's evil if you fail at that. Yeah. And not that. I just don't. I also think that making it a quote-unquote crime doesn't actually do anything. Uh, at worst, you can say that they're lazy. I mean, sure, like virtue... As far as virtue goes, laziness is not great. It's not a good, but it's Mm-mm. not condemning. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're all a little lazy sometimes. And so <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I I find academic a- academia's obsession with it to be... Uh, a little it's like an improper fraction it's a little too heavy like it it doesn't doesn't quite work it didn't quite work like heavy. just just yeah. like my just like my analogy it didn't quite work oh i appreciate it yeah i got yeah. it so you're still cool with me hey i'll take it uh, or as my or as but, my math uh, teacher in, in middle school used to say it's dolly parton big on top small on bottom there you go nice um i did like i love the little anecdote that starts uh starts that article i think it's called is plagiarism bad that's that's kind of you know it's it's about so it's written by agnes collard uh, calyard collard i think it's collard calyard yeah, who is a philosophy uh, professor at the University of Chicago, I, I think. So. Yeah. Um, but uh, her family immigrated from Romania. It's in the article. If I'm getting this wrong, you can read the article and you can correct me. Um, call call in and correct yes. me, and then we'll play that. Um, but um, so she talks about this story about how she was like five or six when they moved and she was in first grade um, in the United States, and her teacher gives her or gives the class an assignment to um, to write a poem and write a poem that's theirs. And um, so she spends two minutes, writes down a, a poem, brings it to the teacher, and the teacher looks it over. And then looks at her and says, did you did you write this? And she goes, yes, I did. You saw me just now. Write it. <laughs> you saw me write it. And then she's like, no, Shel Silverstein wrote this. And um, and then she embarrasses her in front of the class. And she calls her mom. And um, and she talks about how, like, to her six year old brain, she did the prompt correct yeah she wrote a poem herself down that she had memorized Mm -hmm. and her take on memorization was that that is when it becomes yours you know you have this ownership once you know it by heart and um and it's interesting because that's that is a completely different take um on it than than academia and i don't think she was arguing for 
taking that approach in daily life, you know, and that as adults, but she was saying, look, you know, if a child can misinterpret what you're saying, then maybe your rules don't make all the sense that, that you think they do. Exactly. Um, And, uh, and I just thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Well, and, and you think about, Um, you think about fiction and poets here, fiction writers and poets and all these creative people out there to this day, you'll hear over and over again from writers and poets and musicians. Once I got it done with, I had to release it into the world. And at that point, it's no longer mine. And you're like, exactly. Why do we not like, am I the only one who understood <laughs> who heard that? Like if it, if, if you are, doing the work of listening to it, partaking in the creative reading and or listening or whatever of it, and it becomes part of your being. At what point does it become part of you? I can't. I mean, mean, it's, it's, yeah, of of course it's nebulous. There's, there's not a way to like, but that's the problem is is that it's it's not actually about the intellectual property it's it's about money it's about yeah <laughs> being able to sell it yeah. being able to monetize it and that in and of itself is a bastardization of the thing exactly. right yeah. too like and i think i think you know tying it back to the movie i think that there are these kind of two concepts of plagiarism floating about and one of them i think the movie takes a strong uh strong sentiment against which is the plagiarism that causes um i guess derivativeness yeah and um and you know there's there's this kind of existential threat that Mm. you keep taking ideas it's like a it's like a uh a cassette tape that you just keep recording the same song, you know, over and over again. And then it becomes noise. And, and I think that's, that's if it, if the movie itself takes a moral stand, it's, it's at that type of, that type of mirroring, that type of plagiarism. But I think there's another question it asks, which is, um, so you have kind of Tim's character again, and I think I alluded to this, but one point in the movie, the girls ask him, like, is your life even worth it? Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just a, a series of happenstances. It's just, you know, this conglomeration of whatever, and you're just this scum. Yeah. You know, is it worth it? And, and, um, and, I think the movie takes a stand against that and yeah. says, no, you know, this, this person is, is worthwhile. And, and that is worth, um, you know, Tim is worthy mm-hmm. and, you know, he gets a sense to, to kind of escape the trap that he's put in. But, uh, but he's by no means an original person. No, no. So, <clears throat> well, and, 
Yeah. And she asks Amanda the same exact question towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is ultimately what makes Amanda... I, I, I actually like this scene a lot when Lily asks Amanda, like, then, you know, basically, like, is your life worth living? Because you don't have the ability to emote or feel the things that the rest of us do or see the world in the same light or, you know, have the same relationships with people. All these things. Like, she's basically naming all these things and she goes, like, like, at what point does your life become meaningless? Uh, and and Amanda actually ponders it. She's like, never really thought about that. But you're right. <laughs> and that's when she decides to drink the rest of the retinol. Uh, and 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 that's the that that is actually to be honest the moment where I was like, I think Lily's been playing her the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Because she knew that that would be after all this that would be the one argument that would tip her over. <laughs> and and I think it plays into the, the the idea that we've been talking about in the sense that you know just because we did not uh, create or write this thing uh, it doesn't mean that it it is meaningless that we have mm-hmm. interpolated or or written down this poem as a sixth grader you know, for, for a class where we're supposed to write down our own poem. Like, it's not meaningless. The fact that she wrote down Shel Silverstein, from what I know of Shel Silverstein, would have absolutely pleased him. Yeah. And he would have been honored yeah. by it to have been written down by a sixth grader in a class. <laughs> so, Well, yeah, and and so his poem you know, ends up becoming this story about this girl that writes it, Yeah. you know, and, and if you're looking at the poetry though, if you're looking at the poetry as through this kind of narrow academic lens, then yeah, she probably, she may have misspelled something. Maybe it was actually worse. Maybe the derivation of it Mm -hmm. was bad, but what indicates and what it becomes inside of her becomes greater than that. Exactly. And that's that's where I think plagiarism misses the mark is not only are we are we criticizing does academic academia criticizes the uh, the work, the derivative yeah. work, but it also criticizes why would you steal someone else's thought? Why would you try to make that your own yeah. and, and um you know, and it doesn't, it's stifling. It doesn't have a sense of, you know, becoming a part of you. When it demands immediate gratification, too, because we don't have a sense that this poem that the sixth grader took in to her her being, uh, we expect if, if it has bloomed inside of her, it should happen right then and there, when in fact it may be when she's 60. When the full fruition of whatever started with that poem being memorized comes to fruition. Yeah. And, and who's yeah. to say that 
that what she did in that moment was plagiarism if we know, in fact, that it leads to this down the road. Like, <laughs> but we can say that because it's not immediate. And we can't immediately commodify it. <laughs> oh, yeah. all right. Well, good talk, yeah. Blake. I think this is, I think within the big scheme of things, this has been our most on target and, and, and most insightful episode. I think it's also going to end up being our longest episode. Yeah, more than likely. I might, yeah. I might so hack if you, it. I might hack it just to make it shorter. But what, what would you hack, Blake? Just if you had five fingers, would you want to cut off any of them? Um, no. It would hurt. Yeah, that's it would right. hurt. And I wouldn't get anything for it. They're all useful in their own right. Exactly, even the bad ones. What is your worst finger? My pinky. I mean, it does jack shit. Well, you that's because you don't do your pinky lifts. I've been telling you for weeks. You got to do your pinky yeah, lifts. Yeah, I am, I am kind of weak on this side. You got to just add some weight to it after you, you can do... If you could do like uh, 50 of them, then you can start adding weights to them i'm sure if i could do uh, 50 by itself without starting to move the rest of my fingers (laughs) (laughs) on that note with that attitude yeah uh i think i think on that i think we should end on that note pinky lifts pinky lifts all right do everyone do your pinky lifts bye